Welcome to the Agency Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to going deep space on agency operations, which is just as nerdy as it sounds. I'm your host, Marcel Petipoff. I'm the CEO of Parakeeto, a firm that helps digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability. Join me as I interview some of the smartest thought leaders and agency owners in our space and go deep into operations, metrics, and all the other things you need to get right so you can spend less time worrying about operations and more time executing on your vision. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Agency Profit Podcast. I'm extremely excited about today's episode because we are getting into some very nerdy stuff with a very smart guy. Our next guest has spent the last few years running a company called digitalacquisitions.co. He's helped hundreds of digital businesses and digital agencies reach successful mergers and acquisitions. And this is all he does. He got into this after running his family's manufacturing company for 15 years having that be acquired and then just becoming obsessed with this whole process of how businesses merge or get acquired and change hands and change ownership. So with all of that, John, thank you so much for being on the show today, man. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here, Marcel. I've been uh, looking forward to this and it's always uh, fun chatting up with you. So ready to go. Awesome, man. Well, let's jump in. There's one thing that you uh, said to me that really struck a chord. And I think it's important to open with this because it's going to get everyone's ears open. You said to me that 80% of businesses are not sellable today. And there's probably a lot of people listening today who might be in a situation where their business is not sellable, and they might not even know it. Um, So could you shed a little bit of light on why that is? And in your mind, what is a sellable business um, based on your experience? Yeah, so I think to understand this better, you you need to look at this from a buyer's perspective, right? So if I'm a buyer and I want to buy your agency, what I, you know, the number one thing is when I buy your business, is it going to continue operating and driving the revenues and profits that you have communicated to me? Like as we went into the process of reviewing and, and doing the diligence on your business and I think where a lot of people are at is that, especially with agencies, what I see is that the owner, they're just like ingrained in the business, right? They're, they're working day to day. They're still working 60 hours a week, hustling hard, doing everything. And to be quite honest, that's not valuable for another buyer. What another buyer wants to see is a business that has systems and structures that's not reliant on any one thing. There's a great principle that everyone should know. It's called the Switzerland structure. And this dates back to World War II. Where it got the name is from, you know, Switzerland as a country is a neutral country for wars, right? And and so in terms of your business, your business should not rely on any one employee, contractor, uh, or vendor, or customer. So if you've got a concentration of, any of one of those three elements in your business, that's not as valuable as if you don't have to rely on any one employee, vendor, or customer. So that's where I, I think a lot of agencies, you know, the, the one thing with agencies, a lot, it's, it's easy to get started, right? There's very low barrier to entry. Anyone can learn how to do lead gen or Facebook ads or whatever it is you're, you specialize in, right? But then actually having something that another buyer, you know, that's like a whole nother level that you got to start building towards. Interesting. So this is the thing that I I think a lot of people maybe don't 
understand is so important in the process of selling a business is how systemized the business actually is. I think a lot of emphasis gets placed on top line revenue, on EBITDA, because that's generally what the multiple is going to be on. But what was really insightful the first time that you and I started talking about this was how much other factors beyond just how much profit or how much revenue you make are actually being weighed in when um, valuations are being done. But there's one thing that we forgot to talk about um, before we kind of got into this, which is just a little bit more backstory on you, what you do and how you got into mergers and acquisitions. I touched a little bit on it, but I think it's important for everyone to have some context because you have a, a tremendous amount of experience in this specific domain dealing with agencies, you know, in that one to 20, 25 million range, which is probably a lot of the people that are listening in today. Yeah. So, well, how I got into this is just from going through M&A myself. I grew up in a large family manufacturing business that did eight figures a year. And, um, you know, doing that myself, I learned what we, what we did really well was we had all those systems and processes. And, and these are some of the things I did when I worked there over my 15 years is just building processes, structures. I built manuals for damn near everything, right? I, you know, and, and your manuals, you know, for all the people listening, they don't have to be complex. It just, you, you need to have these things documented, right? So even in my manufacturing, we had operations manuals, customer service manuals, logistics manuals. So think of like in terms of your agency, you know, if you do anything repetitively, um, you should have that documented in some sort of process, you know, a, a process flow, process charts are really good to have. And just enough detail, and, and the importance of that is just, um, it's not only valuable, but it helps you as the owner when you do want to sell transfer out of the business, right? Because there's always a transition period, and if you don't have things documented, that buyer, he's going to be calling you up nonstop, uh, asking you, how do I do this? How do I do that, right? But So anyways, after selling my own business, it was uh, quite... It, you know, an emotional roller coaster because it took two years for us to do our deal. Um, you know, we had a manufacturing business, so the evaluations, it, it's way more complex, a lot more components. There was real estate tied into it, um, you know, big equipment. We had big, heavy equipment at this facility. Um, all those things, you know, added a whole nother layer of complexity that most agency sales don't have to deal with. So, it took two years to get this deal done. It was just so um, emotionally taxing. And I think this is one thing I, where I can really add value is that, you know, when you sell your business, you got to be prepared to, for the long run. Like ideally a, a good sale can take two to three months to fully execute. And then you, you go into your transition period, but you've got to be prepared to go six months. It, it could take even longer depending on the size of your business. So. Um, where I feel like I can help people is that like that, that roller coaster, it, you know, it's taxing on you. And so having someone like myself to keep you grounded and, um, also someone to tell you, no, this is not the right deal. Like we need to walk away from this deal or, or we need to wait longer. Uh, that experience is very valuable and what, what a broker like myself can bring to the table. So, so after going through it, I, um, had to work for the acquirer for a year. I actually mainly did the transition of the operations to the acquirer. And like halfway through that, I realized I am not meant to work in a big corporate world because we got swallowed up by this big global competitor that's in, you know, 25 countries to doing billions of dollars. And 
I just, I, I do not fit well in that environment. I'm too entrepreneurial, too fast. And so I was considering buying some form of digital business just because I was sick of going to the same place every day for 15 years. I wanted to like work from home. And um, that's actually how I met the guys at Digital Acquisitions and started working with them is um, I was interested in one of the businesses for sale. And um, I just curiously asked uh, Ryan, who's one of the partners in the firm, how, how brokering works and all that. And we talked about it. And he's like, yeah, if you want to give it a shot, come on board. And so I was like, all right. Let's do it. And so here I am. <laughs> okay. So, but, but you've seen a lot of deals uh, in between. Then yeah. And now. Well, yeah. Working for the firm, you know, we're doing deals monthly. Um, our firm is a bit more boutique. So we're not, you know, there's other players out there that are all about volume. Um, our kind of company motto is like, we won't sell the business unless it's something we would buy. So we're, we're a bit more selective, to be honest. We do higher end deals. Um, like me personally, I don't even really want to get involved in a deal unless it's like at least at uh, a sale price of half a million. I prefer to be like in that million to five million range just because it, it it's a lot of work and effort on my my behalf to do a business. Um, and, it, you know, I, I think I told you this story. I'm trying to sell an e-commerce store right now for 600K which I put six months of work into this and it doesn't even look like we're going to get it done um, versus I'm selling a SaaS company right now for like one and a half million. And this deal, I'm, I'm going to get it done in like three months with like a tenth of the work and way more money. So it's, um, you know, what, what the difference, uh, which is good to know, is that the SaaS company just has so much more intrinsic value built into it. And that's why the deal is going to go so much faster and smoother than this e-commerce company, which was a one-man show, which this guy, he didn't have, he doesn't have any systems or processes, nothing's, everything's like up in his head, which is, which is not good. And that's been, you know, one of the things we've been getting pushback from. So. Well, let's dig into that a little bit, because um, like I alluded to earlier, there's a lot of other value levers outside of, you know, just the revenue and the profits. And now we're talking about systems. You know, what are those primary value drivers that when a business comes in um, to your world and wants to get acquired that you're evaluating and how are they weighed? You know, like what's the most important thing, second most important thing so that people listening at home can kind of start to go through that checklist and understand like where the gaps might be in their own business. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in terms of value drive, I think number one is, you know, getting a little deeper into the systems, um, you know, automating all those systems, those processes. And I think what the owner needs to think about is how does how does the owner remove themselves from the business, right? What can you start doing to remove yourself? So, and, and like a good litmus test is like, if you had like an emergency and couldn't work on the business for like a month, would it, would it survive? Would it thrive? Would it keep, do, you know, going as is? Could your business grow without you there? Um, you know, that is what, uh, you know, uh, especially as you get into bigger deals, right? Um, as you go up from, you know, a half a million dollar sale to million to two million to five million, you get these larger buyers who are more sophisticated, maybe private equity, like that's what they're looking for. They're looking to just take that business over and just drive the direction. They don't want to work in that business. So that is extremely valuable. And what I think every agency owner needs to understand is like, you got to start working towards that. 
Um, the more you do that, the more valuable you're going to be for another buyer. So that's number one. The other thing is your financial performance. Um, you know, growth is paramount. And I think out of everything I've seen so far in my experience, like that is, has such the, such an incredible influence on your, your multiple. Um, and, and that can, you know, most businesses fall in the range depending on the size and like the EBITDA, but like what, you know, so for an agency, for example, if you're, if you're a half a million dollar EBITDA agency per year, you're probably, you, you know, your range is probably about a two and a half to a three and a half. So like what skews you from that bottom to the top? It, yeah, it is like those systems, those processes that you have set up and it's growth though. If you've been flat for five years, like you're probably going to get closer to a two and a half, but if you're growing 20, 30, 40%, for the past three years, like you're going to get closer to the three and a half. Um, so that's a, a big one. You know, I always tell, always tell people the best time to sell your business is when you've had like three solid years of growth because your business is always going to be valued based on the last three years of performance. And then, um, you know, in terms of value too, and, you know, I, I really like to understand companies' sales and marketing process and more specifically their acquisition. How are you acquiring customers? What's that process look like? Can that be done without the owner? You know, a lot of agencies, the owners do a lot of personal branding, and that's not as valuable if you build a brand around a company. Uh, so that's something to look at for as well, because if, the, if you'd like the owner drawing in all these leads because maybe you do video marketing or stuff like that's hard to replicate for a buyer coming in right so your acquisition and then i i also understand your acquisition channels so do you have um you know do you have organic leads coming in that you're closing do you have paid traffic coming in that you're closing the more acquisition channels you have the better again it goes to like that switzerland structure same thing applies to your acquisition. You, you don't want to have just one channel for acquiring customers. You want to have as many channels as possible with um, as little going or, or, you know, you want that spread out, right? I, ideally, I don't like to see any acquisition channel accounting for half of the revenue. But, you know, if you show me you've got five different acquisition channels that are all doing 20%, that's, you know, of course, way more valuable than if you have two acquisition channels doing, you know, 50, 50 or 60, 40, whatever it may be. Hmm. And then I think, you know, you mentioned earlier as well about how the same thing goes for clients and revenue bands as well. So you don't want to have too many clients um, that are taking up large portions of your revenue that propose a big risk. Um, and then you also talked a lot about the value of uh, recurring revenue. Those are two other things from what I understand that are going to be important to evaluate as an agency. Yes, recurring revenue is huge. And, and so when I look at the agency, I want to understand their contracts. Because, uh, yeah, one-off one off services, like if, say, you do web design, um, how do you replicate that going forward, right? That's not as valuable if, you're, if you have some service where that's ongoing month to month. And so when I get into, when I look at that customers, yeah, I want to see that customer concentration. I want to know what's the average contract value for customer. What's the cost to acquire those customers? What's the life, you know, your average lifetime value of a customer? I mean, it, 
you know, the, the more you um, extend the lifetime value of a customer, the better, because that's showing me you're retaining these customers, right? And that's the more retention you have, the more recurring. And that's, that has greater value for a buyer. Awesome. So for those listening at home that have kind of been going through this checklist, there's a, another thing that's probably important to talk about, which is the context um, and how it changes based on who might be evaluating your business for a purchase. Because there's a lot of different people that might acquire an agency. There could be brands looking for essentially an internal team. There could be private equity firms that you talked about earlier, other agencies or holding companies. What are some of those common um, buyers that you see um, coming in to acquire agencies and, and how does this context or how does what they value differ depending on who that is? Yeah, I think it's just the, you know, I guess we got to start at the sale price, right? Like if your agency is going to sell under a million dollars, you know, you potentially just like some standalone entrepreneur could possibly want to buy your business, right? And why I say that is a lot, you know, a good majority of at least the transactions I see, like when you're under that million and a half mark, most likely it's going to be the buyer's going to be utilizing some type of loan, whether that's an SBA loan or I don't know what they have up in Canada. Um, you know, if you're a, so, so most likely it's going to probably be like an entrepreneur or like another agency buying you up. That's going to use some sort of funding, right? Usually at that two million mark, that's when like those private equity firms come in, or or maybe larger agencies. Um, what I see now too, once you get to that mark, so like the private equity firms, they they need to have that structure and process in place. They just want to know that you know they can transition in, they can you know send their direction down to somebody at the top who's going to run that organization under their firm. And uh, where else was I going with this? Um, yeah, that's huge for that. And then, okay, because the private equity also too, you know, for an owner, the more you're out of it, the better. Because if you're, if you're still into it too much, they're going to want to retain you for like a year or two years until they can find someone to take over that role in the firm. So, so that's a consideration there. And, and then if you look at like maybe a larger agency or, uh, you know, what I've seen even is that um, agency, they, they've sold their business to like their, a, a large vendor, even I've seen that at times. So they're, um, sometimes they're concerned with the talent that you have on the team, because right now, aqua, aqua hiring is very um, popular, hiring through acquisitions, right? Because, and I think the reason for this is just that, in like this agency world, there's so many like freelancers who just taught themselves how to do these things, right? Rather than they like came up through like a, a really renowned company that, you know, knew how to train them properly. And so there's, um, you know, what uh, the bigger agencies, they like to fill those gaps through, through buying other companies because they get the revenue and they get that team and structure there. So it's like a very, you know, it's a safer bet uh, for them. And at the end of the day, of course, all acquisitions, it comes down to the risk, right? How, how risky is this purchase? And that's, uh, you know, there's many ways, all these things we were talking about, adding value at the same time, they're decreasing the risk for the buyer coming in. Do you want some free resources to help you measure and improve your profitability? If you do, then I want to tell you about our agency profitability toolkit, which you can grab absolutely free in the show notes or by heading to paraketo.com 
forward slash toolkit. It's packed with training videos, cheat sheets, templates, and all kinds of other great resources to help you start measuring and improving the essential metrics that are going to drive better profitability in your business. And it's helped thousands of other agencies around the world do the same. So I want to encourage you to go and grab a copy of that. And if you'd rather get in the fast lane and just have our team of experts guide you through the process of measuring and improving your profitability, then I want to encourage you to apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the episode and I'll let you get back to it. Awesome. So, I mean, from what I understand, private equity, that's going to be almost like a purely financial purchase. So you really got to look at trying to mitigate risk, create financial certainty in the business, uh, remove yourself as a bottleneck as an owner, you know, other brands or large vendors, that's probably going to be more of a talent acquisition. Generally, what I've heard about and seen in these scenarios is it's often not going to be a big multiple on EBITDA. What it's really doing is kind of creating uh, steady income for the founders and getting them out of what is generally not a great financial position. Um, and then you've got other agencies and sometimes it's to add core confidence to their business. But the important thing to remember is always reduce risk as much as you can and that should help you increase your valuation. Awesome. So the next thing I want to talk about is terms because this is something that I hear all the time. There's a misconception around acquisition. You hear about, you know, this guy sold his agency for $20 million and you just assume sometimes when you hear that, that that person got a check for $20 million deposited into their bank account when they signed the papers to sign over the business. But most often that is not the case. There are lots of different ways that these things can get um, set out in terms. A lot of times there might be earning schedules. There might be a requirement for the founder to stay on through a transition. Some of that compensation might be stock in the new entity. Can you talk through some of the common terms that you're seeing that people should be aware of when they're entering into, you know, or thinking about mergers and acquisitions um, and how that can affect, you know, their position. Um, and, and also I think, you know, there's also the, the combination of things that we just talked about de-risking the business and how that generally correlates to your leverage in the negotiation to get better terms for yourself. Right. Well, yeah, where to start? I mean, in terms of terms, you know, it, it's funny because as a broker, I'm, I'm looking to get certain terms for my client, right? Usually I, I want something like 80-20, 80% up front, 20% over an agreed upon period for, and, and that agreed upon period usually like correlates with the transition, right? So if, if they're asking the owner to stay on for six months or a year, you know, they're probably going to tie in that remaining 20% to them staying on and doing what they say they're going to do during that transition period, whatever's agreed upon. But yeah, there, I mean, there are so many ways to do deals. Um, you know, if you're getting, and I think this also comes down to what the owner wants to do. Sometimes people sell up into the bigger companies and the owner stays on where, yeah, as you said, they might, you know, they might get less cash up front, but maybe they'll get um, some revenue sharing or some, you know, profit sharing with the new company, maybe some options if, if it's that big of a company. So, you know, th there are so many different ways to slice deals, but I think at the end of the day, when you do a deal, there's two things, right? There, there is the price and there's the terms. So the better, you know, the more value that you built into your business, the more you're going to control. And, you know, when I take a business to market, ideally, where I want to position them like at that perfect price point, and if they've got that intrinsic value in the business, um, 
you know, the more competition for the business, the more control you're going to have over the price and the terms. But if you've got a business that only one person wants and, you know, if I'm negotiating on your behalf and I've only found one buyer, like I've got to be very cautious because I don't want to offend the buyer. And we, you know, we got to take that terms and, and pricing. We got to be very careful just because buyers can walk away like that, like in an instant for no notice. They, you know, they can just have a brain fart and they're like, I'm out of this deal. So it, it really, I think it comes down to how many people want to bid on your business. If, if we get four or five LOIs and um, the partners in the firm just did this for uh, one of the SaaS companies, they got like four or five LOIs, like all these people wanted the business and they were able to get the price up um, the asking price, like 10%, 15%, something like that, and, and much better terms. So it really comes down to how much leverage you have. And really, you know, the best way as an owner to build that leverage is to work on these principles of, of building the value into the business. It's funny that these are all the same kind of tactics that we talk about in fundraising for SaaS companies, right? It's about creating a competitive process. So batching all of your investor meetings so that you're getting term sheets at a quick rate and it creates a whole bunch of momentum and, and the sense yes. of urgency for the investors. It helps you drive better terms, helps you get the deal closed faster. Like everything moves better when you create a competitive process. Um, I think that's, you know, a big part of the reason why a brokerage can help because you guys, you know, have access to a network of buyers that are always looking for deals. And so you can very quickly create that competitive process. Um, and you know, what I've heard from speaking to other agency owners that have sold their businesses to your point, that mitigation of risk in the systems you build into your business, you know, how you structure it to, to essentially be a less risky investment is generally going to drive better terms up front as well, because, you know, to your point, the acquirer wants to mitigate their risk. So if there's a high level of risk in your business, their terms are probably going to reflect that. They're probably going to want you to stick around longer. They're probably going to tie most of your compensation to performance after the deal is closed. It's probably going to limit the amount of cash you get up front. So um, it's a really interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Everything you said is spot on. So that's why, you know, and going back to our original question, what makes a business sellable? You know, my new thing that I've been realizing over doing this is if I come up, you know, if I meet with the company, I just like, there's not enough, enough here yet. I, you know, I'm going to tell them and be straight up front. You got to work on a lot of things here. If you really want to sell this business. Um, Cause it's just, it, yeah, if, if you don't have these principles laid down, it's just, you, you're not going to get the deal you want as an owner. And, and and that's why, too, my big message is you really need to plan out your exit. Don't just like one day say, I want to sell my business. Like take a two good, you know, a, a good exit plan should really take you two years to do. Okay. And that should in, incorporate like getting with, with a broker like myself. Let me evaluate your business. Let me give you some pointers. Let's like review your business every six months for that two or three year period that you're planning this. And then, um, you know, it, it, there's also exit planners, which I, I work with some exit planners and these guys like their whole thing is how to drive the value in the business. Um, so you got people like that. And then also you need to be talking to your tax strategist, your, your accountant to just make sure, you know, the numbers all work out and, and you're going to be happy. And what I can really do is like reverse engineer your exit. So if you're telling me, oh, I want to leave the business with like a million dollars, I'll help you 
um, develop like some conservative revenue and earnings targets. And, you know, based on the multiples that are in the market, I can say, okay, you need to get your business here. If we get it here, I'm pretty confident that when we sell it, you know, you're going to leave after all the fees, you know, my fees. And typically you have fees with your lawyers and whatnot, accountants. So after all that, you know, you can leave with that, that dollar you're looking for. So if you guys are listening and you're thinking, I need to have a chat with John, maybe he can help me figure out my exit plan. Uh, we'll leave some contact information in the show notes. Feel free to reach out uh, directly to John to have that conversation. Um, so that's a, that's a great point, planning your exit. It's not the first time that I've heard this. And to your point, there's a lot of things that drive the value of your business. So starting to think about this early, probably a good idea um, because there might be some gaps that you can work on over that time, different levers in the business that you can pull. Um, And I think going through that process uh, would be really helpful for anybody that's listening to identify what those gaps are and get them on the radar, get a plan in place to start addressing whatever systems are missing, adding extra channels, diversifying their client portfolio, et cetera. Right. Um, and, you know, if that's going to add an extra 1x EBITDA to my valuation, then it's probably pretty worth it. It is. And I, I think the other thing is you don't need to wait to like two years before you sell. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I think these principles of, you know, these value principles, they, once you've got an established business and you've got like two, three employees, like, that's the time to start. You don't need to wait until two years before your exit. And, and part of these principles, I think they're also helpful for the owner, um, you know, doing, you know, automating systems, processes, like all these things are at the end of the day meant to like make you not work in the business, but on the business, which is what the owner should be focused on, right? You should, you, you need to move yourself out of the business. So you're working on that high level strategy and vision and, and having that, that team and, and management structure under you to execute that vision. Awesome. So the last thing that I want to dig into here before we go is, you know, more specifics on the systems, the operations. One of the things that you've talked about a lot are, you know, you talked about the numbers on sales. You've talked about the numbers on profitability. It sounds like reporting and knowing your numbers as a business owner is going to be important when you're going through the process of getting acquired or even preparing for acquisition. What are some of those really important metrics that, you know, for example, you need to properly assess the business when somebody comes to you that people should be thinking about um, back in their own business? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm definitely, I do want to understand your acquisition costs. Um, I'd like to and get granular. What's your acquisition cost per channel when it's say, maybe you have a channel partner versus you're doing paid acquisition versus organic. You know, I want to see the breakdown of each of those channels. So the acquisition cost in the channel, like the lifetime value of the channel, the, the average length of that customer, how long they're with you. And then, you know, of course, summarizing that. Um, that's a biggie. You know, in terms of your financials, when you do go to sell, you want to present your financials under an accrual basis. Um, that's how any buyer is going to value your business. So, you know, people need to understand there is a difference between cash accounting and accrual accounting. And By the most, way, guys, if you run an agency, you should be using accrual at all times because it right. just makes way more sense for your business model. Sorry, it John. Does. Yeah, no, it does. But I think when, you know, most business owners start out, like cash is king, right? You're, you're living and dying by cash. So they're not thinking about that necessarily. But they should be, especially if you have 
you know, long-term con, if you're signing long-term contracts, um, you know, three, six months, year long contracts, you do need to understand that accruals and, and the difference between the cash. But at the same time, yeah, like cash flow management, of course, is, is critical, critical, especially as you get going and, and are building and scaling. And how important is it for, um, for agencies to also be really clear on like their delivery profitability and efficiency? Like we talked a lot about having systems on how they get things done, but you know, do you often see acquirers digging into their, their gross margin on projects, for example, or how often they're going over budget or how well they're scoping things like how, how efficient they are at actually earning revenue inside of their business? Yeah, no, I think, I, I think that's critical. And, and, you know, the more, you know, that, you know, one, one big thing too is like, you can't measure what you can't grow, right? So anything I, that you can measure financially, I, I would urge you to do it, especially, you know, if you are more of a per project type of agency. Um, yeah, you do, just like you said, you need to understand how profitable each project is. And, you know, when it comes down to due diligence, I mean, here's the thing, uh, a smart buyer, they are going to examine every single thing in your business and you need to be able to prove every thing, single thing you're communicating, especially when it comes to your finances. But, all, you know, those things you just touched on, um, you know, the more financial metrics you can provide and show the trends, all right, like, uh, you know, is your lifetime value growing? You know, are your adjectives? average contract values are they is that going up is that trending up like all these things again are just going to make your business more attractive and it's going to communicate to that buyer that you know you are driving the risk down right so i think uh, you know the i don't think there should be any limitation on what you can measure if you can figure out a way to measure anything in your business you should do it awesome so i mean that's I like to drive this home a lot. I'm biased. I believe in data a lot. And part of that is because we run a SaaS platform that helps people attract and stuff. But um, I really do think that that data is important, not just for helping you run a better business, but to your point, it's going to increase, you know, your ability to drive great value in your business through an acquisition process, probably help expedite it as well. Because to your point, a good buyer is going to do a ton of due diligence. And if you're not prepared for it, you're just going to have to get prepared during the process. Um, and that can be a big headache and it can really hold up the deal or even make the deal fall through from what I've seen. Right. Um, so if you're listening at home, start tracking your stuff. And uh, I know a few people that can help you with that. Wink, wink. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's what that's what exit planners do. Like that their big thing is to get you prepared and have all those things lined up and ready to go. It's one of the things they do. But, you know, the other point I want to make right there is that, you know, the more data you can show, I think, then it allows the buyer to make a better decision, especially too. like when I consider acquisition channels. I think this is uh, critical for any business, SaaS, e-commerce agencies, because it allows a buyer to see where your weaknesses are and say a buyer knows that they're just so much better for you, then they're going to be like, oh, this is attractive because they're in their mind, you know, they're, they're making a judgment call and saying, oh, I could do this better than they're doing it. So I want to, you know, take this on. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective um, to your point, especially in private equity. I see this a lot. Private equity to me is like one of the coolest things because it combines like investing with, you know, operational excellence and running like actual entrepreneurship where they might have 
a core competency to your point in paid acquisition for e-commerce. And they might look at an e-commerce business and know that they can increase, you know, the acquisitions and decrease the cost by X percent. And they can just do the math and figure out, well, this is how much money we're going to get out of this deal. And it can really make the choice easy for them. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I think, and, I, and you make a great point there. I think the, you know, the, as your sale price goes up and you go into those higher, more sophisticated buyers, like the more, the greater importance of having all that data, being able to share it and prove it as well is, uh, is vital. So awesome, man. So this has been a really insightful chat. I just want to summarize um, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. Value levers, you know, we talked a lot about systems and processes, essentially anything you can do to decrease your risk in the business. So making sure you have a diverse portfolio of clients, you're not relying on any particular person, any particular contractor, any particular client for your business, making sure you've got lots of acquisition channels, making sure you've got things documented, making sure you've got steady growth, all to increase your value. We talked about the different kinds of buyers that you might run into and the different things that they value. We talked about the types of terms that you might see in your deal and how you can create a competitive process in order to give yourself some leverage to get better terms. We talked a little bit about the metrics that you should be tracking and the value of that. Uh, we talked about all kinds of really important things and I wish that we could keep talking about this forever because I just love being a nerd and talking about this kind of stuff. But unfortunately, we can't. But I'm sure there's lots of people listening that want to continue following you and what you're doing and may even want to reach out to you and get on a call and learn a little bit more about how they can increase the value in their business. So for those that are listening that want to follow up, John, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Yeah, you can just shoot me an email, john.garudi at digitalacquisitions.co and just uh, say you heard me on Marcel's uh, podcast here or, you know, find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only John Garudi the third in the world. So pretty easy there. Um, you know, shoot me a connection request and yeah, just ha I'm happy to talk with anybody at any time. For me, I feel like I can do a much better service to you as an owner if we connect now. I don't care if you want to sell your business 10 years from the down the road. Let's connect now. Let's start chatting. Let me give you some advice, some pointers. And I, you know, I'm building out my network of amazing consultants in the agency space. So if like, you know, you know, I just hooked up with someone who's amazing at systems and processes. If you're lacking in that, you know, I've got someone I can, I, I can refer you to. Um, if you need help with sales, I've got that person. So, you know, I'm happy just to lend my network to you to help you build more value in your business and, and provide that guidance so that, you know, when it's time and, and you want to sell, you're ready to do it. Awesome. So there you have it, folks. Uh, just scroll down to the show notes if you're listening to this on your phone um, or wherever you're listening to this. Check the show notes. You'll have John's email there, a link to his LinkedIn profile, a link to the website. And uh, be sure to reach out if you feel like it's a conversation that you want to have, if you're thinking about acquisitions or even just want to see if that's something that is a good fit for you. So with all of that, John, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. I really enjoyed our chat. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure as always and looking forward to speaking again. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, man, I get so much value from this podcast. I wish there was something I could do to return the favor. Well, today's your lucky day because you can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this. And it is incredibly helpful. Of course, if you haven't grabbed a free copy of the Agency Profit Toolkit, go and get that. It's got tons of free resources to help you improve your profitability. 
If you're looking to get in the fast lane and get help from experts to improve your profitability and measure your most important metrics, then apply for a consultation at parakeeto.com. We'd love to chat with you and figure out how we can help. With all of that, thank you so much for being a listener and we will see you on the next episode.
Thanks too.